welcome to The Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Woodbeck. Welcome back to Fracture Line, guys. It's just us. Happy St. Patrick's Happy Day. Saint Patrick's Happy St. Patrick's Day. Everybody's in green. I love it. Mark, you walked in with a mask on. We no longer have to wear them in our hospital as of Tuesday. Are you kidding me? Really? Yeah. Wow. Is that just you guys? There are people I don't recognize. Yeah, that must be strange. Wow. It's strange. There are nurses on my unit whose faces I've never seen before. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. It's kind of sad, but that's crazy. It's been that's three crazy. long years. That's a nice step. No, we haven't even reached that. So I've not heard of that on the East Coast. We just go tell them that that's what Intermountain's doing, and they'll probably... Totally. Change the policy right away. Every, everyone on the East Coast knows who Intermountain Medical Center is. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, you know, I, I like my idea the best. I wanted to talk to Sarah Ann about her planning for the summit and who's annoying her the most, but probably won't give me a legitimate answer on that. Well, I'm definitely not going to answer that question. What's on my mind this week is that it was match day. I saw it pop up a bunch on Twitter as we were tweeting various things about upcoming events within the society. I was seeing lots of residents and, and others posting about their matches and how excited they were, etc., or lack thereof, and their resolve to try again the next year. And so it's been on my mind thinking about all of our current co-hosts. They're on the pod today. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today in terms of you know, when you were accepted either to medical school or when you matched, did you get your number one? If not, you know, what was that like? What did you think? What, you know, just a little walk down memory lane. Okay, we'll start with Dr. White. Dr. White, tell us first about being accepted to medical school and then maybe about when you matched and both, did you get your number one in both situations? And is this what you expected to be doing with your life? I did not get my number one in either scenario. I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. It was a bit humbling because I'd never to that point had ever really failed at anything. I wouldn't consider it a failure, but I, you know, I think most of us feel a little disappointment when we don't get our first choice. But as things worked out, I was probably better off with where I went. It was so long ago that we called it match day because it was before electricity. So we had to actually use matches to read the letters <laughs> that told us where we were going. So that's why we called it match day. Well, you had to be super careful you didn't start the papyrus scroll on fire. Exactly. Yeah, I can see where that would well, be very I, difficult. Ironically, papyrus isn't as flammable as you might think. So it's pretty resistant <laughs> to the flame. So I'm just impressed you were after the era where they just wrote it on a rock and threw it at you <laughs> right like the ten commandments the finger of god came down and just wrote mcw and then the boulder just came rolling down the hill well it was 38 years ago wow. so that ought to sober you up a little bit Yowza. i remember quite a bit about that day actually i was pretty excited actually the most exciting day was the day two days before when we were informed that we in fact matched and we didn't have to go through the pre-match so that was the exciting day as i knew i someplace had accepted me so match day was almost a little bit anticlimactic, but I was delighted to see the University of Utah. They were third on my list, but I was really glad to be going there. Medical school was a little different story. Medical school was challenging. I was not a resident of a state. I had moved to Colorado 
when my father became ill and went to a new senior high school there and hadn't lived in the state before. So I wasn't officially a Colorado resident when I was applying for medical school. So I didn't have statehood, which made it a little more challenging. But I was delighted to be selected to go to the Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, and the rest is history. What was your first choice for surgical residency? Dallas, Parkland. Okay. I had some connections there, family history, cousin that went there kind of thing, and spent a month there as a senior student and really enjoyed myself, but obviously didn't make a good enough impression on them to rank high enough, so that was a little humbling. Yeah, that was my first choice. Cool. Yeah, let's talk about somebody else now. That was a long time ago. Indeed. Dr. Crisco, how about you? Yeah, so medical school, I got my first choice. I was in active duty military. I was actually stationed in Mass, the only active duty center in Massachusetts. And so I wanted to stay locally. My wife wanted to stay locally. And I got into University of New England in Maine, having not thought that I ever had a shot of getting in because I was a very non-traditional student with less than ideal grades for an undergraduate. Well, because you can't read. We know that. We've talked about that on the pod before. So that makes medical school particularly challenging. It presented some issues. Well, and also I was very active, you know, military. I was traveling all over with the military at that point in time. And it was kind of a haphazard, like first try type of thing. So I wasn't expecting it in, got in. And then for residency, I got my second choice, which is currently where I work now. Berkshire Medical Center is where I did my residency. It's a UMass affiliate. My first choice was was down in Pennsylvania, UPenn. And I think it was, in hindsight, amazing. But obviously, I was very excited to just match. And I was excited to stay in New England because that's where my wife and I wanted to be. So it was a pretty awesome feeling either way. I do feel for these kids that when they're finding their match day, they know that at least they got the next five years planned, which is kind of settling in a way. Because you never know where you're going to go. And a couple of our residents here that were prelims, you know, they didn't match and they're going to battle through it. It's kind of a weird thing, right? Like you want to be a surgeon, you have to just sacrifice sometimes years to even get into that pathway. And they do. They just keep chugging at it. So cheers to the people who didn't make it the first time and are still trying. Indeed. I like it. Dr. Bauman. Can you guys hear me okay? Yes. Yes. Okay, perfect. Got to remember, I'm a DO, so it was a little different for me. came to residency. I, you know, I came out of a DO school, and back then it was kind of a weird time for DOs. You know, nowadays, I don't think it really matters if you're an MD or DO, but back then there was still kind of this weird um, notion that if you were a DO, you weren't welcome in some of these uh, MD residencies. So I interviewed at a ton of different um, MD residency programs programs and really struggled because they would always call me out for being a DO or, and, uh, you know, ask like why I thought I deserved to be here. It was a really weird time. I ended up going into the DO match because there was a, at the time there was a DO match and an MD match, but uh, I did the DO match and got my first choice for residency, which was Henry Ford in Detroit, Michigan. But I kind of had expected that because I'd spent a lot of time out there uh, on rotations and whatnot. But yeah, so that was, uh, it was interesting. It was different. I don't think that our um, medical students really experience that anymore just because uh, they've collapsed the ACGME down in the DO education group into one. And so you can basically, you know, you just take the same test nowadays and go into the same match and it's much different. But it was a bit of a trying time. I'm not going to lie. I just wanted to agree with Zach. You know, I don't know if it still exists or not. I do think it is still a struggle for DOs to match into surgical subspecialties because it existed for me. I mean, there were places that I knew I was a great applicant, but they were just not going to take a DO because they never had before, especially where I was trying to apply to the post. I know it still remains today. There just aren't programs that know how to accept that into their culture, if you will. And first choice, I had a good feeling from, but they were, you know, an MD primary applicant pool and 
it's the reason that I didn't get in is what I, as far as I'm concerned. And for all of us DOs trying to get into surgical subspecialties back then, you really have to know that this program is friendly to DOs and they have a track record of hiring them because otherwise it just wasn't going to be a chance. Yeah, there was some programs that I applied to that they just flat out emailed me back or called me back and said, we don't take DOs, sorry. Wow. Yeah. You know, Zach, I do still think it's true. I mean, I, obviously we all help students try and get into surgical residencies and it's still true for them. I mean, there are just programs that aren't going to take DOs with the same type of applicant, the same type of scores. Uh, it just has to do with what medical school you came from. I definitely think it's gotten way better, especially now that they've combined courses with the ACGME. And I think it's really improved yeah. things, which is, I think, for the better of surgery and medicine in general. I remember, you know, a couple, because we would obviously were UMass affiliates, so we worked at UMass and we worked at Bay State, but those residencies didn't have any DOs. So we would go there and obviously do well. And on several occasions, they actually met with me in follow-up and, and saying, how do we even hire a DO? Because at that point in time, we had different scores than they did. So our, our scores and our tests were different. They're like, how do we interpret this information? They didn't even know how to hire a DO as a resident because of the differences in tests that we were taking. But now I think that point isn't valid anymore because we all, they all take the same test. So I think it's becoming easier for them because they know how to score them against the MD pool. Yeah, definitely. Have you ever encountered a situation where you guys have been mentoring someone in your world who didn't match or who didn't get into medical school as they were anticipating? And how do you help kind of buffer them or through that situation? I've been, you know, kind of on this peripheral watching as people have been posting messages on Twitter. And certainly those are whatever, 144 characters with people, you know, posting kind of pithy messages of like, don't worry, you'll get it next time. But I'm sure that, you know, the actual on the boots mentoring and coaching that goes into telling someone, you know, the, the hard truths of try to in your subsequent attempt, you know, I'm sure those are some difficult conversations. I'm curious if any of you have had to really kind of coach someone through that and what that looks like or feels like. I'll go first. I mean, obviously, Tom, the fact that he's a thousand years old has done it to a thousand plus different people. <laughs> but even me, as young as I am, has helped mentor a lot of people getting into med school. And I think you really got to get to know the person and find out what are the reasons that you think they failed. And some of them are obviating. Some of it's score related. Some of it's lack of experience. Some of it's not really trying to connect with the program that you're applying to, or you're not an actual good fit for the program that you're applying to. And then some people aren't meant to be surgeons, and they like the idea of surgery, but they're just not the right fit in general. And I think it's not a bad thing, you know, but you have to get to know the person that you're trying to mentor. And it's not to say that anyone can do surgery. Yeah, anyone can do surgery, but there is there's a certain mentality to it. And I think that to mentor someone through that process and getting into a surgical residency and becoming a general surgeon or a trauma surgeon, whatever type of surgeon, they have to be fit for that role. It's a different type of medicine. I don't know if you guys agree with that. I'm still of the old school thought that not everyone can be you know, a special forces operator. Not everyone can be a ranger. You know, there's a reason why we have a rigorous process to figure out who is the right fit for becoming a surgeon. Was it hard for you when your mentors told you you were going to need to learn to read to go to medical school? Was that a challenging day? I actually don't think you need to know how to read. Okay. Yeah. Like matching. There's a lot of like, like shapes, you know, find a shape that looks like this and remove it. Ectomy. There you go. You know, something like that. As one of Mark's mentors for his 10 plus tries, it was definitely a challenge. We had to go back 
basics. Have you seen the movie Billy Madison? It was like basically taking kindergarten through 12th grade all over again. <laughs> yes. You joke, Zach. Does that conversation you have with someone who needs to be dissuaded from the surgical path is a challenging one. I've had to do it two or three times and extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm any good at it. It's one of those things we're obligated to do and we owe it to them to give them that message if it's really clear. It's in their best interest not to continue to flail away for a couple more years of residency and be that much farther behind when they choose an alternative path. But you feel like you're playing God and deciding yeah. for them, and it's really hard. I don't like that feeling either because it's uncomfortable. I mean, who am I to say that you shouldn't become a surgeon? But you feel like there are very clear red flags that would indicate this is not going to work kind of thing. Oh, no question. Yeah. And it's hard to pinpoint that. It's just extraordinarily hard to pinpoint that. And sometimes it comes later. You know, how many times have you mentored young residents that you know, this might not work for you? And it's not to say that you don't try everything first. And you, part of the mentoring process is remediation and all sorts of different things. You know, in that word, there's all sorts of different things that remediation means. But when you've reached that end, you've you got to be the one to say, I don't think this is going to work for you and I want to help choose a different path. This is a heavy conversation, people. Yeah, yeah. yeah, let's talk about something else. I recently looked into this phenomenon of which side of the head that men typically part their hair. Because <laughs> I was curious. And I'm looking at you, Mark, and you're, on, you're not a mirror image, right? I'm reading that application on the wall in the back, and it looks it says something New England. Does it say that? Plaque on the back there. So but you part your hair on the right side, and so do I. But you know, we're in a minority. There's only about 10 to 20% of American men who part their hair on the right side. Much more common on the left. Interesting. It's wrong to part your hair on the right side. No, it's not wrong. It sounds like it might Come be. Come on, Zach. You're pro <laughs> magnet, Zach. It's perfectly acceptable. In fact, it indicates that you probably are a little bit more free-spirited. You have more imagination. You've bought the trends. And that you're a kinder, gentler person. And you're probably a better surgeon. I think that's sort of the interpretation that I... I'm going to go ahead and say that everything that's just happened in the last minute of this podcast is 100% balderdash. I'm just... <laughs> There's absolutely zero truth to anything that's just happened. Abraham Lincoln parted his hair on the right side of his head, not the left. <laughs> yeah, I bet he did. Let's just take the data from the four people here. Me and Tom are both very nice. We're compassionate, and we are the greatest surgeons, uh, you know, around. And stunningly handsome. You're both the greatest surgeons in your exclusive offices right now, <laughs> is what you are. <laughs> so, Zach, I can't remember what side you part your hair on. Put your camera on for a moment. I part my hair on the side that you're supposed to part it on, on the left. Yeah, you do. Yeah, look at that. That's the side that is yeah. the proper side, the gentlemanly side. Oh my gosh. If anyone's still listening to this podcast, they're stopping now. I guarantee that for the next couple of days, you're going to be looking at people and saying, yeah. oh yeah, that's right. He's a right parter. Yeah. Oh, he's a left parter. I knew I didn't like him. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> if you're lucky enough to have hair to part. Nobody asked me about how I chose to go to grad school. I went to school. Yeah, how did you choose? Yeah, please, Darren. <laughs> it was next on my list of questions here. Really, it was. I bet. No, my story is entirely boring. I actually desperately wanted to go to Columbia for grad school. Columbia? South America? No, no. New York. Thank you. In New York. <laughs> no. Columbia. Columbia with a U. Columbia in New York. I was, oh, I wanted to go so bad my teeth itched. <laughs> but my former spouse did not want to move to New York for a couple of years. And 
had a variety of reasons that I still think are probably fiddle-faddle, but that notwithstanding. So we turned down Columbia and stayed, and I went local, and I had a great experience at the University of Utah, David Eccles School of Business. Thank you very much. And it was a terrific opportunity, but even at that time, that was obviously about 20 years ago, but it was a male-female ratio of 1 to 10. Wow. I know. It's better. It, it's getting much better now in the in the graduating classes, but I was an anomaly to be certain. It was an awesome experience. Not what I expected, not what I wanted, but really glad that I had the opportunity and had a great time. So turned out probably exactly how it was supposed to. Sarah, where did you do your undergrad? At the University of Utah. You did, okay. So that was why I wanted to have a different experience. Yeah. Okay. I have undergrad degrees in human development and in business. And so then I wanted to do my MBA somewhere else. So I had kind of pegged Columbia as the place, but didn't pan out how I anticipated. Where does uh, Eccles School of Business rank in the national rankings? They're top 25 school. Wow. So it, yeah, so it wasn't a shabby. It was my second choice. It wasn't a disappointing choice. Bunch of right parters there, I think, probably. <laughs> yeah, a lot of right hair parters. It wasn't a bad decision by any means. But because I'd gone there for undergrad, I was just kind of seeking a different experience and seeking an East Coast experience, being a girl from Utah and, you yeah. know, all those kinds of things. But it still was a terrific opportunity. And then um, returned back for my master's degree in information systems and went back to the Eccles School of Business. So clearly I am well entrenched in the University of Utah. Yeah, you are. Proud to be a Ute. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Don't mean to switch the subject, but Lady Utes play tonight? Lady Utes play tonight. Yes, they do. They are number two seed. Hopefully by the time this comes out, we're we're well into the Sweet 16, so that will be good. So, yes, a uh, hot time in the old town tonight at the Huntsman Center. Yeah. Nice. That's fantastic. I know. My Aggies got beat yesterday by Missouri. It was a tough loss. They were in there till the last few minutes, and then they... I know. It was really till about the, what, four minutes to go about five threes in a row and the game was over <laughs> yeah all right sarah give us some updates for the week oh boy lots of updates well if you missed out on the breathing techniques ribbonar this past week you really missed out we had a terrific ribbonar by dr andy sabatier i learned that i had been saying his last name wrong so that was a good opportunity to be corrected but the archive version is coming out on the website um this weekend so you can check out the recorded version. We actually have case review this Wednesday, so please check that out. And we won't have case review in April, so this will be your last chance until the end of May if you miss this one, so you won't want to miss it. And then, you know, things will be a little bit scattershot in terms of education in April because obviously preparation for the summit and, and most people will be doing their thing for that, so they won't have a lot of time to get content ready. If you are writing your JTAC submission, do not forget that it is due April. 1st. Do not be late because there will be very little grace. Actually, there will be no grace for those submissions. And if you are participating on the agenda of the summit, do not be late in submitting your CME accreditation documentation because quite frankly, it makes me grumpy and that's not good for anybody. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the general update. And as far as other updates, if you did not sign up for the NASCAR Hall of Fame Saturday evening send-off dinner event, you won't want to miss it because it's going to be really very terrific. And if you happen to be in Charlotte and you are not attending the summit, but you still want to attend the evening event, that is no problem. You can still 
come to the dinner. So let me know and we can invoice you if you missed signing up for it on registration. Also, if you are part of a collaborative center and you have not indicated if you are participating in the Wednesday evening collaborative center dinner, then shame on you because that was due already. So let that stand. Did I do that? I can't be accountable for all the things you do or do not do. I feel like I want to do that. Well, <laughs> I, again, you know what? I'm just going to call your wife and ask her because she'll know. <laughs> I think those are all the updates. Come to the summit. You won't be sad. Actually, you'll be sad if you don't come. How's the room block status, Sarah? The room block filled entirely this last week. They sold out of all rooms in our room block. They have now added more rooms, but now even the additional rooms they added, it's about a third full. So, okay. sell them like hotcakes. That's yeah. what I always say. So if you haven't booked your hotel room, do it today. Yes. So if you have not booked your room, the time is nigh because you don't want to stay somewhere else. That's no fun. So there you go. Okay. Well, I enjoyed this little chat this morning. Thank you guys. I definitely did. You guys want to do a quick final stitch? Sure. I think this whole thing was final stitches. Yeah. Felt like kind of an episode of stitches. We're stitching it together. I'll tell you my final stitch, you guys. Yeah. Okay. I need, I'm even holding my microphone close on this one so the audio is good. I need positive energy in the universe. You guys, if you don't know what you're sending positive energy in the universe for, how can you do it? So I'm telling you so that everyone can send mental positive energy to the Salt Lake City renewal program. So they have a process going this year where residents can apply for a grant for $250 for urban gardens, right? Yes. So I applied for one and I, I mean, you guys, I laid it on thick. It was like, I deserve this grant because I run this small nonprofit out of my home and <laughs> this too. And you have to list what you'll do with the $250 and show like a budget. So I'm like, I would buy these two grow boxes and with the extra $50 I could use, you know, I can use it to run my drip line system and I'll be able to be you know, sustain, self-sustaining with the vegetables I can grow in my new grow boxes. Like it was, uh, did it work? You guys, I don't know. April 1st is when I'll be notified. Okay. So I need positive energy in the universe from the CWIS community that I win this cool urban grant, you guys. <laughs> I want my $250 Salt Lake. So I want to be the winner. They allocated like Fifteen or twenty thousand dollars. So there'll probably be a lot of winners, but I want to be one of them. Wow. Okay. You do your own composting because they're going to look down on this application. Oh if you don't go that. You far. guys, yeah. that's the other thing. I am saving all of my couch cushion money for one of those loamy composters. I know they're stupid expensive. They're five hundred dollars to sit in your kitchen and make dirt. Like who needs to make dirt for $500? But I want one so dang bad. My teeth itch. Like it's quality dirt. I know. And then I could put it in my new grow boxes. <laughs> I've got to have a Lomi and I've got to win this grant. It's just my little urban gardener self is just dying to dig in my dirt. So I need all the snow to go away. And then I need grow boxes. That's it. It's my final stitch. Here's my final stitch. If anybody is dedicated to see what's long enough to have actually listened to the podcast all the way through to this point, then they get a free gift <laughs> at the summit. So just remember, 
All you have to remember, all you have to do is come up to the desk, come up to McKenna or come up to Sarah Ann or myself and say, I listened to the podcast and, <laughs> and I want that free gift. But it's not a Lomi podcast. It's not a Lomi. Not a Lomi. No, but no, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a t-shirt not a or it's a... It's not that cool. Ni- it's something nice. So if you listen to this podcast all the way to the end, then God bless you. You need a life. <laughs> And at the, at the summit, if you come up and mention this, right, what I just said, you, you, you'll get a free gift, a free mug or a free something. We'll figure something out. I'm into that. Okay. I'll fund that. That's my final stitch. Nice. And I'm really, really excited to see everybody here in a couple of weeks. Me too. Very much so. My final stitch is I have a very interesting case. I'm going to try and make this quick because I, I'm very, it's the first time it's happened to me. Lady came in yesterday after falling down some stairs. 92, very independent woman, fully functional at home. She's got really bad rib fractures, uh, flail from, I think it's five through nine, uh, a pulmonary laceration, put a pigtail in her, was planning on doing her today. She has zero, and I mean zero pain. She's worked with PT and OT. She gets up just fine. I watched her because I didn't believe the residents when they told me this. She has zero pain. She moves just fine. She worked with PT and OT. I said, you must have pain. She said, I have, I'm sorry, Sonny. She called me Sonny. I'm sorry, Sonny. I don't. I, I don't That's Doctor Sonny to you. I don't have. Any pain. And I'm like, there must be something. So then I start pushing on her, and I'm I'm very confused by the whole thing. I repeat her non-con today because I want to see if her lungs up. And I laid. She kind of laid on the side, and it's like her whole chest is caved in during the CT that's repeated today and everything just looks mangled but she has zero pain she's not on oxygen she works well with PT and OT her air leak has resolved and I've never seen a patient with this level of destruction that ha- there's nothing wrong with her yet I was planning on operating on her today but I, I don't think I'm gonna hmm. I don't know what your opinion is of this time but I, I couldn't believe well it's hard to make the asymptomatic patient better I know that part is that's what I told her that's son. A given. her son was in the room and I'm like I would always operate on this patient but she has no pain at all like zero and it's not like she's demented or anything and I've never seen this before so check her belongings for morphine or for meth <laughs> and she's not on narcotics she's not she's she's Tylenol ibuprofen methocarbamol and some Lyrica yeah I probably wouldn't operate on her but she keep an eye on that plural space because she could easily develop yeah. some sort of complication and might force your hand but hard to do that case I think as much fun as it would be it would be hard that's what's on my mind okay okay good to see All you right. okay well two weeks from now I hope on the pod we're celebrating the win of my grant okay <laughs> oh gosh I got it right here Sarah about her grant 